You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. We are back on Behind the Mic, and it is time now for our Catching Up with the Cougars segment, brought to you by BYU alumni. If you want to help BYU students but don't know how, you can with BYU alumni chapters. Find the chapter that fits you at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. And tonight, it's a conversation with former BYU hoopster Eric Nielsen, who joined the Cougar basketball program at what turned out to be a pretty pivotal time in BYU hoops history. In 1996, Eric came to BYU from the South Bay, a high schooler from Fremont, California. Eric had a freshman season that in many ways was one to forget, but helped set the table for a BYU hoops renaissance of sorts, of which Eric was a part after his church mission. One of the best shooters and most reliable every game players BYU's ever had, Eric remains today in the BYU career top 20 in field goal percentage, top 20 in offensive rebounding, top 20 in blocks, top 20 in games played, top 10 in consecutive games played, and top 15 in games started. He is one of only five BYU players all time with a single season field goal percentage of 60% or better with a minimum of 50 shots made. Eric's BYU basketball journey began with a 1-25 season, but concluded with three straight postseason appearances, including BYU's first NCAA tournament bid after a six-year absence. His time in Provo also featured a storybook comeback win over Utah during his senior campaign. He married a fellow BYU student-athlete, women's volleyball All-American Annalena Smith, and they have been frequent supporters in the stands during the Cougar Hoopsters' trips back to the Bay Area over the years. It is a pleasure to welcome in Eric Nielsen behind the mic here on BYU Radio. Hello, Eric. Hello, Greg. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks for taking the time tonight. We appreciate it. Uh, you were growing up in the Bay Area, and, and I guess at the time being recruited by some other schools in that area, was BYU always on your personal radar? You know, it was. Uh, both my parents are alumni of BYU, and so, and as well as my aunt, and so they had planted the seed all growing up, and that was something I always considered. I think I entertained ideas of possibly going to, to other schools, but um, when it came down to making a decision, it was pretty easy for me. BYU was always a place I wanted to go. Which were the local local schools that had some interest in you? Santa Clara. Um, there with Coach Dick Davey was great. I, I uh, grew up going to his summer camps. My high school coach was really uh, helpful in getting me connected with that program, and I think that helped me develop quite a bit. Uh, Stanford, uh, when Coach Mike Montgomery was there, he uh, was um, looking and had me come out to, to uh, just a couple of visits, watch some practices. And so some of those local um, schools were, it was nice. I think my high school coach was, had always hoped that I might stay uh, closer, but um, no, I was, BYU uh, was always a place I wanted to be. Of course, in later years, your BYU career scoring high for a single game came against Stanford. It did. <laughs> I don't know if I planned it that way. It was uh, it, The game was played in, in Vegas, which is a place I always enjoyed playing. But, yeah, no, I don't think it really entered my mind. Most games, I just entered, you know, with the thought of doing my best. But um, uh, something felt good that night, and things just went my way. Can you take us back to the recruiting process and ultimately committing to Roger Reed and BYU? It, it started early, as I recall, in my high school career. Um, Danny Ainge's father was in the area, in the Bay Area, and he came out and visited with my parents and I and um, started the conversations. And then uh, Lynn Archibald, uh, assistant coach with Roger Reed, um, followed up with that and you know, made some visits and phone calls and helped introduce me to the uh, program. Uh, and then my dad and I, I think we uh, made a trip out to Provo early on in the recruiting process and uh, – the, the staff was great, you know, showing around, and it, it confirmed what I'd always thought about the university. Growing up in California, I didn't have a lot of opportunities to visit the campus and, and get to experience it. Um, I just uh, lived it through others and their stories. But when I finally made my trip out there, um, it sealed the deal. I knew that was the place I wanted to go, and so I ended up committing fairly early. What kind of impressions did you have when you did get to Provo and saw the Marriott Center, those kind of things? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I, I grew up on stories... Uh, from my dad, you know, when he went to school, and that was, you know, Danny Ainge and Prisoner Chosich, and uh, just the amazing experience uh, it was to play in the Marriott Center and to go and, and actually see it, um, you know, just the, the scale and size of the facility and, and just to imagine, um, you know, what it would be like to play there. And I think uh, the staff even uh, coordinated at the time. It's, it's, not, well, it's not the same scoreboard that they have in the Marriott Center now. 
um, previous version, but they had uh, some video playing on that that really got me excited. It was fun. What was your sense of the kind of uh, team BYU would have when you got to Provo? Because they lost from the season before, just to name a few, Ken Roberts, Randy Reed, uh, Brian Ruffner, Nate Cooper. What were your thoughts at that time? Yeah, no, I, I think maybe chalk it up to the naivete of an 18-year-old. I, I do have some, and I you know, kind of had some assumptions that we would just keep you know, things moving forward. Um, you know, there were some changes that happened early on in the season when I was playing, too. They kind of mixed it up. And, uh, you know, we had the eight freshmen, as I recall, on the team at the one time. And so I knew we would be young. But there was some excitement to being young and continued tradition. But as you mentioned, things were a little different that first year. That, that first year, BYU opens 0-4. Uh, then you beat Utah State. At that time, do you recall thinking, okay, here we go. We're settled in now. We got our first win. Let's just get rolling here. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that was, um, like I said, maybe some naivete, but um, a slower start, but figured, you know, we got one under our belt. Let's get going. And you know, as I recall, there were a number of close misses that year or near wins um, that didn't happen, but we played some pretty uh, tough opponents at times that first season. And uh, it was a tough, but a lot of the games it felt like, truthfully, that if we executed and, and played our best, that, you know, we had a chance to, to get a win. You know, it kind of snowballed there at the end, and it was a challenging year for sure. The coach you committed to, Roger Reed, uh, was let go after a one and six start, and then Tony Engel takes over. And I've always told people that um, if if you had to go through a one win season, and BYU did finish one and twenty five that year, Coach Engel made it about as bearable as it could be. Do you kind of agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think enough can't be said about Coach Engel. I think as far as uh, helping us manage and survive that season and and uh keeping our minds in the right places uh very difficult task uh, but coach Ingo is fantastic i mean i i love him i i know that uh it was a it wasn't only a challenging season for us as players but equally so or maybe even more so for for coaching on the staff and um what they did to, to help us and help the program kind of get through that season so that it could have a renaissance is remarkable Early in that season, November, December, with the coaching change and everything, and a lot of travel involved, was your head kind of spinning a bit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was it, it was an interesting experience being uh, you know in that situation, kind of figuring things out. It was yeah, I would say head spinning for sure. What are lasting memories or impressions of uh, Coach Ingle and the impact he had on you guys as he tried to get you guys through a, tri- a tough stretch as well? As odd as it may sound, I think laughing. I mean, he was able to, with his sense of humor kind of, you know, breaks ice and cut through tension and, and concerns and worries that everybody had because of, you know, the lack of success we were having. And he helped us keep our spirits high, um, which is an amazing um, quality and characteristic, one that I wish I had more of. But I, that's what I remember. And I remember um, Coach Ingle, the feeling that Coach Ingle truly loved us as players and me individually, that he was concerned about us with all those things that, he could have been and probably was concerned about. Um, I always felt like he was concerned about us, the individual. One of your teammates that year was the only player to start every game that season for BYU, and that was Matt Montague. He came from a different part of the country. You came from the West Coast. He came from Kentucky. You guys end up at BYU at the same time, and of course this story has a very happy ending with you both coming out the other end with a lot of success. When do you recall first meeting Matt, and did was there a bond there that carried through your careers because of how you came in together in that same 1-25 in season, went on missions at the same time, and came back and had success together? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I absolutely feel like there's a bond there. I, I remember meeting Matt the first time. I think when uh, we all got to campus early on that fall, um, we had a team get together. I think we all organized something and went out. And I think we went golfing and it broke up into teams. And I remember um, meeting Matt. I'm, I may have met him before, but I remember you know interacting with him and being very impressed with just him, you know, and his character and um, who he was. But then even more so as we played in the season, I have stories that I tell my kids of, of Matt Montague, you know, doing practice, you know, that demonstrated his character, hoping that some of them will latch on to it and try to do, uh, to have, do something similar, have the same type of character. And that's one that um, you know, I try to keep in, in touch with some of the former players. That's one of the things I really enjoyed about my experience at BYU is making some really good friends. But Matt is one that, you know, we try to 
because of that, our time together playing all four years together that, you know, we try, Amelina and I try uh, whenever we, and, you know, make our way out to Utah to try to connect up with um, Matt and his wife, Natalie, and their family and, and just see how they're doing. Matt is somebody I love. He's an outstanding individual. What is a typical Matt Montague story? Well, I think Matt was one who always, we before me type, you know, it's very team. I mean, there's just self-sacrifice. He would spend extra time you know, riding the bike or, you know, lifting weights because he knew he was playing a lot at times, you know, carrying a load at the point guard that he had a lot of minutes. So he was making sure his body was ready. You know, the, the one I shared just briefly, the one that I share with uh, my kids is during that, our freshman year, um, you know, we we're not having success. And sometimes when we're not, you know, struggling, the coaches let us know during practice and the coaches might've been a little frustrated with the players. And so they set an astronomical goal for how many lines we had to get. And everyone kind of knew that that just meant we were going to be running for a long time. But Matt tried to get that goal. And so he was sprinting, lapping all of us. And I, um, as I recall, time was running out and uh, he dove, you know, to slide across the line to get his last line, you know, essentially he got it. And it was, it left an impression on me that, you know, it didn't matter what everyone else thought. That was the utmost to reach the goals and do his best. And that was um, something I'll never forget. After your freshman season, Eric, you got a mission call to Russia, but that was not your first exposure to Russia. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, I know. And in high school, I was part of student government. Um, and through that, we were one of five schools, high schools in California, that got matched up with five schools in Russia, throughout Russia. And so I was two to three weeks, I think it might have been a total of three weeks where we were in Russia and, um, you know, matched up with those sister schools there and, and went over and they came and visited our schools and we went and visited their schools and we talked about student government and um, kind of, I think we worked and set up a computer lab in their school and we went there. Um, a neat experience. But yeah, that was the first time, which I think helped my mom um, accept the later call to serve a mission in Russia. She said, we've done this once before. Mm-hmm. I can sit over there for two years. It's not as scary now. Yeah, well, with that as a background, uh, what was your reaction when you saw that you were heading back uh, for your mission? Oh, I was excited. I mean, that was at the top of my list. You know, I'd, I'd be happy to go serve anywhere, but um, inside I was hoping that I'd have a chance to go back to Russia. I don't know what it was, but it was something that was always appealing to me. I, I, and I think I know better now why after uh, living there and serving there for two years, but um, that's a place I always uh, thought was was uh, very neat and would like to, to spend more time there. Talking with Eric Nielsen in time for a short break. When we come back, Eric gets back from his LDS mission and finds a BYU basketball in a much different and better place. We'll talk about that era of Cougar Hoops when we come back with more. Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel here on BYU Radio. We're brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Welcome back to Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Here's your host, Craig Rubel. We are back on Behind the Mic, visiting with former BYU basketball player Eric Nielsen. Uh, Eric, how up to speed were you kept on the changes in the BYU basketball program while you were serving your church mission in Russia? You know, I was a 20-hour flight away. I think that's probably as far away as I as I was, um, I think my parents had consciously uh, decided to let me focus on what I was doing there and didn't give me a whole lot of updates. And for me, that was fine. I, I enjoyed focusing on the task at hand. And so I didn't know much. I was able uh, to meet Coach Cleveland right before I left because that change happened right before the end of the school year. But the school year ended, and then I think uh, all of us were off on our missions, you know, within weeks uh, in the MTC and then off. And then from that point, I didn't know much until maybe a month or two before I came home. I think my dad started including some information in the letters uh, when I was serving, and so I knew just a little bit when I got back. So you left BYU basketball after a 1-25 in year. Did you fully intend uh, to come back to BYU always and just pick up where you left off? That was my hope. I mean, I wanted to keep playing at BYU. I think I knew that there was a chance that that might not be in the cards. But like I said, I, I didn't spend too much time thinking about it. I don't know if I wanted to think about it, but my hope was always to come back. And so one of those letters when my dad let me know that I was going to have the chance to come back and keep playing. I was pretty excited. 
So while you were gone, uh, Coach Cleveland, who you met, and Coach Rose and his staffers uh, had two seasons uh, without you. And those two seasons uh, were nine wins and 12 wins. And then uh, when you come back, you guys put together a, uh, a 22-win season, and that was the first time BYU'd seen 20 wins in some time. What did you expect BYU would look like when you got back, and how gratifying was that first year to go from your previous experience, 1-25, and to a 22-win season and back in the postseason? Yeah, no, it was very gratifying. I think there are probably still uh, um, you know, memories from my experience my freshman year that would question, you know, you know, how does this translate when I'm coming back from a mission? And, you know, how does all this work and this new team translate into uh, success? How is that going to work? Knowing that it takes a lot of work to uh, to have success. And um, I sing the praises of Coach Ingle, but I, I will always sing the praises of the coaching staff who was there at the time and the players when I came back. I mean, we had Kelly Wesley and Terrell Leday, you know, a number of others who – who were committed to the program and really the guys who um, did a lot to, to achieve that success, you know, with the coaching staff um, and their commitment to, to putting in the extra effort to, to get us there, you know, as a team and working with us individually. I know um, that they really helped me come back. It, it's, it's quite a, an effort to come back, you know, after serving a church mission for two years and um, trying to stay in some shape, but it's not um, – you know, Division One college basketball shape. Having them work with me throughout the summer to try to get ready uh, in time for the fall was, you know, a lot. You know, took a lot on their part, and I will always look back on that fondly and appreciate all those efforts. And as we went through the season, it was gratifying that you know we kind of we found our groove and were able to be successful and execute and plan and and uh, come away with victories. It was it was a, it was fun. It was very enjoyable to come back to a very. Uh, different experience from the first year that I had. The top five scorers on that 1999-2000 team were Terrell Lede, McKelly Wesley, Michael Vrains, Celeste Rivers, and yourself. Nate Cooper was also on that team. Todd Christensen, of course, Matt Montague, and others. And that was a 22-win year. Your first year at BYU uh, as a player was my first year at BYU as the basketball play-by-play broadcaster. So we both had that rough year to go through to kind of learn the ropes. And then while you were gone, it was the grind to, you know, to get back to respectability. And then first year you were back, your sophomore year, BYU does get to the NIT. What a fun run that was, too. It was two home games with kind of a, a rocking uh, Marriott Center. They put you on the road at Notre Dame, which was kind of a tough draw, and that was back in the day when it wasn't exactly the bracket it is now, and, and matchups were kind of funky at times. But what a fun run, fun three-game run that was. It felt like a big deal at the time. No, it did, and, and I, I remember, Greg, you'll correct me, because you are a walk-in historian, but I think it was Southern Illinois, and then uh, forget in the second, but those two home games. Yeah, the, fir- uh, the first game was Bowling Green, then Southern Illinois. Those were both right. home games, then it was on to Notre Dame. Those two home games were a lot of fun. I mean, it was fun to feel the magic of the marriage center. The uh, the fans were fantastic. I mean, that's 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 a lot of fun when you're able to play in in atmospheres like that. And then going to Notre Dame, that was a, a neat experience. Also, I mean, that game was close. We had a couple uh, bad breaks, as I recall, and they had a really good team. You know, Troy Murphy was there, so it was a good challenge. But I felt like we were very competitive, and we had a chance to to win that game. So that was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a disappointing finish. You know, always few teams get to end the season with the win, but that being said, it would have been nice to keep going. But it was a good experience overall, um, and good to get a, a taste of you know what the postseason is like. That was a 22-win season, NIT. Then the next year, your junior year, we're now talking about a team that brings uh, Trent Whiting into the mix and Travis Hansen into the mix. Uh, you're up there as one of the leading scorers with McKelly and Terrell. And now you guys finally make it back to the mountaintop, 24-9, and win the conference tournament uh, in the Mountain West Conference and get to the NCAA tournament after a six-year gap. That was a pretty magical run. It was. It was. That was a lot of fun. As you mentioned, we had a lot of great players on the team. Uh, that year, which really helps. I mean, anytime you can get, you know, multiple threats on a team, that makes it hard for other teams to prepare and and guard. And we had a lot of guys who could play, you know, really, really well. And so it was a lot of fun. I mean, I remember the the postseason uh, tournament in Vegas, and when we ended up playing New Mexico uh, for the championship. I mean, that was that was an electrified environment. That was um, a lot of fun. 
Well, it was it was uh, kind of getting BYU back uh, after a long time away, and you were part of a, a team that helped do, uh, I think, what, what people hoped would happen was that BYU would get back to where they were annual kind of NCAA tournament teams, and you were one of those uh, players on that squad that got back. Your senior year fell just shy of the 20-win plateau, but you did play in the NIT. Uh, Coach Calipari team, as a matter of fact, at Memphis to, to end your BYU career. Uh, one of the games that will always stand out from your senior season is the 63-61 win over Rick Majerus' Utah team. And um, those who were there at the time recall well that uh, BYU trailed by 21 in the second half, 47-26. to You guys make it all the way back. A Matt Montague three-pointer gets BYU within one with a little more than a minute to go, and then with under a minute to play, you get the pass from Matt. You score a jumper for the game-winning points. You do win 63-61, massive comeback from down 21, and Matt ties Danny Ainge's career assist mark at BYU with the pass that got you the game-winning winning basket. It was kind of storybook, wasn't it? It was. I mean, I think about it now, I still get goosebumps as you uh, describe it. It was, uh, it was a pretty uh, fairytale ending for you know, a great experience and career opportunity to get to play at BYU it was uh it was a lot of fun I mean it's it's neat um like I said a lot of credit goes to uh to Matt in that game at least my mind I know a lot I mean I've gone back and looked at that game at times and I think everybody on the team you know Travis hit a big shot um Mark Bigelow hit a big shot I think there were so many guys who hit um big shots at key moments to keep the momentum going in the right direction for us to get back but and I can remember after Matt hitting the three, I think we shot some free throws. Matt being the uh, floor general that he was, he grabbed me because I typically took the ball out of bounds. And he I believe he called a play. He called an audible, and he said, told me what to do. He said, Eric, come set the pick and then pop, and I'm going to find you. I said, all right, let's do it. And it happened, so it was pretty exciting. And it was kind of one of those full circle moments too. Uh, two guys that came in when BYU was, uh, you know, struggling and at, at one of its lowest spots to finish uh, at one of its highest points by beating a really good Utah team with a, with an excellent coach on your home hardwoods down from twenty plus. It was pretty cool to see you two be involved that way. It seemed to kind of take it from uh, start to finish. Yeah, it was it was fun. You know, not bookmark because it wasn't the end. We started a few games after that, but it yeah. was uh, it was a very fun fun experience. When did you first? Um, when did you meet uh, Ana Elena? Uh, right after I got home from my mission, I came home as I mentioned and was uh, got into gear to get back in shape, so I, you know, could be ready to go uh, if needed in the fall. And so I, I think I got home in April. Spent a couple weeks at home uh, with my family in Northern California in the Bay Area, and then headed out to, to Utah. And so I was refereeing games. Uh, to make a little money in the summer, and she was a sports medicine major, and so she was working the sports camps um, from that aspect, and we ended up on the same courts together in the field house and started hanging out, and we hung out that summer, and that was the beginning. And you ended up spending a lot more time in the Smith Field House, I'd imagine, watching her play. <laughs> That's right. I mean, our seasons overlap a little bit, um, but definitely as, as often as I could, we didn't have uh, conflicts. Uh, I was down there watching games. Um, it was fun to, that was her senior year. It was fun to watch um, her wrap up her career. Uh, that would be really also, um, yeah, busy time, fun, but busy time. Uh, what's a family and professional life like for you now? Uh, so we are here in Northern California. We're in Roseville, home of Robbie Bosco. Yes. Um, and uh, we love it. It's a great place to raise our family. We have five kids. Uh, oldest is 15, youngest is four. Uh, they keep us really busy. We're playing a lot of sports. Uh, they're playing a lot of sports now. Uh, so we're, we get to be fans, Annalene and I. Um, and I'm working, I work uh, as a district engineer for a utility district uh, here, just right outside of Roseville. And with BYU and the West Coast Conference, uh, there are more Bay Area appearances these days, and so I've been able to see you at games over the years. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, um the West Coast Conference uh, selfishly works out well for me. <laughs> we've got um, San Francisco, Santa Clara, St. Mary's, and Pacific all you know within a couple hours. So that gives us plenty of opportunity to try to align our schedules with everything that's going on in our family and get out and move on the Cougars. So it's fun to see you when you come out. 
Well, it's interesting. A lot, last thought or two from you. Uh, you know, because you were part of of, of a one in twenty five year that ultimately built its way back to, to really good things as you ended your career. You've seen how things can go sometimes if you know if if if, if, if things aren't exactly in the right place. And here BYU is uh, thirteen straight seasons with uh, twenty wins or more. And and you know this season has had a few challenges, but uh, you know if, if there are any fans that uh, uh, you know are are a little bit down for whatever reason. It's a pretty amazing run that BYU's been, you know, on for for years and years and years, and and you've seen how hard it can be, and hopefully there's a a greater appreciation of just how hard it is to do what BYU's done for as many years as they've done it in a row with with Coach Rose. Absolutely, no. I think one of the lessons I've taken away from my experiences is that I hopefully don't take many things for granted, um, or as many things I'm sure I still do some, but I I hope I'm not taking a lot of things for granted, and just the success that. You know, Coach Cleveland and now Coach Rose for so long um, have been able to sustain with their programs and with the players that come in and uh, what those players are able to accomplish. It's it's fun. I mean, as a fan, I love it. I love watching them. I love supporting them with, you know, on the radio and BYU TV and things. And with the game so close, I'm fortunate that I get to follow the team as closely as I'd like to. And um, I really enjoy what the program is able to do. Well, Eric, since we kind of came in together, as I mentioned, uh, you're, you're one of my favorites for a lot of reasons. And I really do respect all that you did as a player and have done since in your life. And uh, I'm so glad we were able to catch up. And I hope to see you again at a game somewhere soon in the Bay Area. No, I appreciate it, Greg. It's really an honor. So many great players have played at the, uh, at the university. Um, appreciate the chance to get a chat with you and uh, always enjoy it. All right, all the best to you. Thanks so much. That is Eric Nielsen. And my interview with Eric was tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. BYU Alumni chapters help students in need and spread the influence of the Y around the world. Stay connected for good and find your chapter at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. I'm back to wrap up tonight's show right after this. Matt Wilson, quarterback draw on 30, 50, 20, 50, 10. Oh, he's going to go. Five touchdown, Cougars. Down the lane, back to Yo. Yo on the arc, shoots a three and scores it. Yoli Childs for three. To the right, putting a shot on goal. It is a goal for Elise Blake. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. And now, here's Greg Rubel. Good evening once again, Cougar Nation, and welcome back inside Studio 2 at BYU Radio for another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, our weekly hour of Cougar conversations with BYU sports personalities past and present. My name is Greg Rubel, and we are live tonight coast-to-coast on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143 via satellite, over the air in northern Utah on 107.9 FM and 89.1 FM HD2. You can also stream us live online via byuradio.org and on the BYU Radio app on demand. You can hear the show by subscribing to the Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast or by visiting our show page at byuradio.org where you can find every archived episode. Tonight, we hit the links and the hardwoods as I visit with BYU men's golfer Peter Quest and former BYU basketball player Eric Nielsen. My interview with Eric is tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. We open tonight's show, though, with one of the most promising talents to ever emerge from Bruce Brockbank's men's golf program here at BYU. He is Peter Quest out of Fresno, California. Peter burst onto the scene as a freshman when he earned all WCC first-team recognition and took medalist honors at the 2017 WCC Championships. He then went on to a 26th-place finish at the NCAA Regionals after carding eight top 25s on the season overall. As a sophomore last season, Peter picked up a win at the Nick Watney Invitational and shot his way to six additional top 25s, including a fifth-place showing at the NCAA Regional in Norman, Oklahoma, and competed with his BYU teammates at Nationals. He then played in the U.S. Amateur Championship in August at Pebble Beach and advanced to the final round of a playoff, 24 players, for one spot before being eliminated one step short of match play in the round of 64. Six weeks later, this past September, Peter was back on the course with BYU, winning the William H. Tucker Invitational, then a week and a half later, taking third at the Jerry Pate National Intercollegiate Tourney, then later in the month, back-to-back wins at the Pacific and St. Mary's Invitationals. In his win in Stockton, 
Peter tied BYU's all-time 54-hole record, and in his win in Moraga, he shot a 61, the second-lowest-ever single-round score for a BYU player. For his fall season effort, Peter was named WCC Men's Golfer of the Month in both September and October, and in two weeks, he is back at it competing for BYU in the Arizona Invitational. That is an incredible set of accomplishments, and there's still a lot more golf to be played in the career of Peter Quest, who joins me now behind the mic. Peter, thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Well, growing up, born and raised in Fresno, right? Mm -hmm. How did you like life in the Valley? It was, uh, the summers were hot, and the winters weren't as cold as Provo, Utah, but (laughs) but it was good. Um, Growing up, playing a lot of sports and getting a little late to golf, but it was good. So what sports were you first into before golf took center stage? I started off in soccer and baseball, and that was the the main two, and then and then a little bit of skiing in the winters, but just those two. Uh, what kind of athletic background was there in your family? Uh, my dad played collegiate soccer at Fresno State um, for three years, and he actually played soccer till he was about twenty eight. So, um, and soccer pretty much runs in that bloodline. Yeah. Um, but my mom didn't play any sports, so just my dad. But I, I got to say, my I get my athletic talents from my mom for sure. <laughs> so, dad, as a Division One student athlete uh, in soccer, I got to imagine you watched a lot of it too. Did you find soccer on TV? Do you have a favorite club? That kind of thing. Growing up, I was a big Barcelona fan. Okay, um, and watching Man Manchester United play a lot. Um, but I never really had like a, a for sure team. I was definitely a big fan of of German soccer. My grandparents are from Germany. And so uh, just whenever the World Cup was going on, it was either rooting for the U.S. or rooting for Germany, either one. And now it's easier to find the Bundesliga on TV nowadays. So you, yeah, can I know. St- you can still check it out. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I always try to get up early in the morning before my roommates wake up and watch soccer. So There you go. Right on. Uh, so uh, when did uh, golf start to dominate your life? Uh, it was probably about freshman year, sophomore year in high school. And uh, that's when I decided to stop playing baseball and soccer and, and just focus on golf. So far, it's worked out. How'd you pick it up? Uh, my dad, pretty much, just going, hitting balls at a range, messing around, just ripping driver, trying to see how far you can hit it, not caring where it goes. You say so you're kind of a late bloomer to golf then, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely a lot of kids you play with in junior golf, they all they all started playing when they were six, you know, probably earlier than that. And uh, I was kind of late to it. And uh, But it was good. It was good. It built character, that's for sure. And it uh, it definitely made me tougher. So play on your high school team then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, when did things start to click for you? Do you think? Uh, it was probably junior junior year of high school golf, and then going in that summer. That's when it really picked up, and I started playing in some in some bigger events. And then I never really thought about you know playing collegiate golf. I was just playing golf just for fun and just try to win as many terms as I can. And and, uh, and then I started the recruiting process, and I still didn't think much of it. And then uh, I got in contact with BYU, and then and then I signed, and it was kind of like, all right, well, we're gonna go play collegiate golf. It's gonna be fun. I just got to thank my parents for pushing me and, and getting me to the spot I am today. So were there other schools with interest in you uh, as a collegiate golfer? And uh, when did you and BYU finally get in touch? There were a couple other schools. Um, I was in contact with uh, Nebraska and Colorado, and then and then BYU is in the mix, and obviously Fresno State. Um, but I wanted to get out of the Valley, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and, then, and then probably that, that summer of my junior year, um, I really started to get in contact with BYU and, and get to know the program and and everything, and then and then I signed, and then and then it was here we go. So you're not a member of the church that operates BYU. So what was the primary appeal or attraction to the school for you? Mm-hmm. I just like the environment. Um, it seemed it was really appealing, and then I love fishing and skiing. If I'm not playing golf, I just I love doing one of those two things, just being outdoors, um, and you know, right here, you got it 15 minutes from campus, and you can't complain too much. So that was pretty much it. Did you have any preconceptions on, on the faith-based uh, operation of the school, and how have you found that to you as you've been a student-athlete here? I didn't know a whole much about the church and, and what it was about, but I was fine with it. I was, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, whatever you want to believe, that's cool with me. I'm I'm pretty easygoing. Um, but yeah, it didn't bother me. And then, and then being a student athlete, everyone's super helpful and and wants to see you succeed, no matter what faith you're from. And and I thought that was really cool. So the environment works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you recognize BYU as as a golf school with a reputation for putting players in the pros and really developing them that way? Not really. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of really great players out here, but they didn't have too many 
too many players go to the PJ Tour. They have a couple right now and a couple past players that are really good, but it wasn't it didn't seem like a program that had been producing a lot of players, but I thought, you know, with the facilities and everything and all the support you have, then it can definitely become one for sure. How about the Miller family influence, either on you or the program that you've noticed? Yeah, so the Miller family's been awesome. Um, I actually have gotten to know Johnny Miller quite a bit up through up in Napa through family, friends, and stuff like that. So that was also a big part of coming to BYU. And uh, and then Todd Miller and his whole family is, is awesome, and, and uh, they've just been a big help. Another big name in these parts is the Summerhays family, mm-hmm. and there's been probably a tie to the program that you've picked up as well there too, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, Daniel's come down to the IPF every now and then, and, and he's always fallen, and it's cool to see his support, and it's fun to watch him out on tour playing and, and seeing him on TV, and then you just uh, it makes you work harder to to want to join him. And you, and you know that the women's coach, Kerry Roberts, is a summer haze too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, coach Brockbank, what can you tell us about playing for Bruce? Uh, Bruce is awesome. He's a funny guy. He's pretty easygoing, but uh, we get it done, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun playing for him. Had you played uh, Olympic in San Francisco uh, in your high school days at all? Uh, I think I played it once as a junior, um, but nothing, nothing crazy. And then your first college tournament, though, for BYU ended up being at Olympic, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty pretty sweet start to college golf. Um, you can't start really anywhere better, <laughs> I'd say. And you ended up with a top 20 in your first uh, college event. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was pretty cool, too. Butterflies that day? Nerves? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, I mean, you know, college golf is different from junior golf. But, I mean, the way I was raised, it was kind of like, well, these guys put their pants on one leg at a time, too, so... <laughs> There's no real difference, you know. Any players that you modeled your game after uh, when you got into golf seriously? Uh, well, you know, I I definitely love Tiger's career. That was pretty. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> if I could follow that up, that'd be nice. Um, but no, I mean, I I try to look at you know all the guys on tour and kind of see what each one of them's doing, and uh, and you know maybe try it out, see what they're doing, try it, and if it doesn't work, then move on. Um, but I don't know. Just try to find your own game and. and you know, golf's an individual sport and it's unique and there's no one way to put the ball in the hole. Um, so just trying to find out what works for you. How do you describe your game these days? I don't know. It's, I, I'd say it's simple. Um, I, I try not to make too many mistakes and I just try to put it, you know, one shot at a time and, and uh, go from there and, and add them up at the end. Your freshman season at BYU ended with you, or close to ended with you, winning the WCC championship in, mm-hmm. in your first year. Did you see yourself kind of building up to that, peaking at the right time? Was it a pleasant surprise? Uh, were you not surprised at all? How do you look back at winning that title as a rookie here? That 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 win was it was it was really sweet. There were a lot of emotions that week. Um, you had a grandparent uh, passed, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. My grandmother passed. Uh, the weekend before the tournament and um so there were just a lot of emotions going into that and and I kind of just I went out and played and and kind of realized there's a lot more to life than golf and I kind of just let it happen and and uh, it just so happened that I won so it's break time on behind the mic when we return uh, there was no sophomore slump for Peter Quest it only uh, set him up for what was has so far been a spectacular junior season Peter Quest is my guest and our conversation continues after this here on BYU Radio this is behind the mic with Greg Rubel on Sirius XM 143 BYU and the BYU Radio app back with more right after this You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. I'm visiting with BYU men's golf standout Peter Quest, who's a junior season picks backup later this month in Tucson at the Arizona Invitational. Before the break, we got through your freshman season that ended with that WCC Individual Championship and an appearance at the Stanford Regional. Your sophomore season saw BYU advance to the Nationals after a top-five finish at Regionals, and you also earned your second collegiate tournament win. And that one's kind of special because it came back home, didn't it, in Fresno? Yeah, 
Yeah, that was that was nice beating Fresno State and, and taking the trophy from them. So that was fun. They call that the Nick Watney Invitational. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick was a Fresno State golfer, PGA Tour golfer. Was that kind of circled on the calendar in terms of one that was special to you? Yeah, that's circled every year. Getting going, playing Fresno State, and and uh, and not just because I get to beat up on Fresno State, but but because there's family there and I get to see friends and everyone. Um, but yeah, that one's circled every year. And I would imagine the course is one you were pretty familiar with. Uh, mm-hmm. Did home course knowledge help you out that week? Definitely a little bit, yeah, because there were the conditions that week. They were they played a lot firmer and faster, um, and those greens are tiny. They're they're <laughs> like the size of a table. So um, and it got pretty windy. So definitely course knowledge helped there. Two more top five came your way later in the season, and then it was a good team run to nationals. What can you say about last year's team? Oh, it was it was so much fun uh, playing with that team, Fish and CJ, those seniors, um, and it was just a fun ride. Um, we all wanted it. We all wanted to get after it, um, and we thought ourselves kind of underdogs, but we knew we could do it. You know, we didn't really care what anyone thought. We were just like, all right, we can play golf. Let's do it. Golf is the consummate individual sport, obviously, and in the pro ranks, you get only a few opportunities to compete as a team, international events usually. In college, it's all about the team. Yes, there's an individual tracking, but that, that's when you really get to take golf and make it a team sport. What do you find really appealing about having teammates uh, on the course? Just knowing that you're always pulling for your guys. you got someone to play for and uh, that you all want to do it together. You know, winning individual titles fun, but you want to win a team title, and that's, it's a lot more fun to celebrate with your teammates that way. How much did the national experience kind of whet the appetite for the team to, to get back there again here? Yeah, it was that. That was an experience of a lifetime. It was awesome, but um, we want to redeem ourselves for sure. You know, we uh, it was tough preparing, having to play by yourselves on Thursday after everyone played their practice round, and and uh, it was it was a different atmosphere. But I think we're we're a lot more prepared this year, and uh, we just want to redeem ourselves and get back after it and make a make a serious run at the national championship. So that came at the end of your sophomore season. Then you got uh, you had the experience at the U.S. Amateur, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just you there. You had you had two teammates with you, yeah, at yeah, the U.S. That, and that's that pretty cool too. That was awesome, yeah. So you had Rhett Rasmussen and Spencer Dunaway would have also qualified. Mm-hmm. So you're at the U.S. Amateur Pebble Beach. How familiar were were you with Pebble? Yeah, so I, I played Spyglass quite a bit um, and a couple other courses around there, but I've never played Pebble before, and so that was the first. That was time. your first time. Yeah, that was the first time playing it. It was a lot of fun. So you end up in a 24-man playoff for one spot. Mm-hmm. Can you take us back to maybe the closing holes leading up to the playoff and then finding out you're playing 23 guys to get to get one spot? Yeah, so coming down the stretch, I didn't I didn't really I knew I was close to it, but I didn't know know exactly where I was at and uh I actually bogeyed my last 3 holes and I think I was one of the last guys to finish. So I I think I kind of created that playoff um so you think you could have avoided it right oh for sure yeah, i definitely yeah. could avoid it make a couple of fires coming down um but then I, th- I actually thought i missed it when i bogeyed the last hole but then i come to find out you know we get another shot at it you know so let's go see what happens and then uh, and and the playoff is 17 18 right mm-hmm. and so 17 is that par three that everyone knows so well yeah you, and you birdie it yeah yeah that was that was uh that was pretty sweet it was um so the I was the last group off. I think I was actually the last guy to tee off, and and I knew someone else birdied it before, so it actually made it a lot easier. But no one else had, right? So basically, you had to basically birdie to to extend it by another hole, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was just pretty much get up there and aim at the pin and try to put it as close as you can to make a birdie. And uh, I feel like that definitely freed me up to make a better swing and knock it close and, and make birdie. Rolled in about, what, 10 foot or so? To, yeah, to, it was about 10, 12 feet. So then it went from 24 man to two in a hurry, mm-hmm. and then it was down to the, to the 18th, and that was it then, right? Yeah, yeah. And then hit a drive down the fairway and then pull one into the, <laughs> into the water and then kind of choke it on in. <laughs> but the experience, I mean, having mm-hmm. been there in those moments, you got you got to build off that, right? Oh, for sure, yeah, definitely. That was an experience of a lifetime, and... and Looking back on it, if that's the worst thing that happens in my career, then I think I'll be all right. <laughs> How much confidence, though, did Pebble and that USAM experience uh, give you to hit the ground running with your fall season here at BYU, which is now your junior season? And people don't know you have a fall season, then you have a winter season. Because a few weeks later, you were you were on fire to start fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it was just like all the conditions, playing of summer tournaments and stuff like that, because they're so hard. They make those courses super tough. And uh, and not saying that the this 
the spring or the fall courses are tough, but they're really tough. But I think just preparing and and kind of managing your game a lot better is 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 what helped me. So you played five fall tournaments with BYU and won three of them. And in that third win, you had that 61 on opening day in the St. Mary's Invitational. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what a 61 feels like when you're in the middle of it? Oh, that was the easiest round of golf I've ever played. <laughs> that was that was that was a cakewalk. Um, no, it was it was fun. Uh, I just tried not to think about it too much. Um, except for the last three holes, I kind of figured where I was at, and and uh, it was sweet. I didn't I didn't hit in trouble, and and I just it was easy. And I think actually I was coming down 18. And uh, I passed my dad on the cart path, and I told him, I go, if I hold it, I shoot 59. And, and then I hit my shot from the fairway, and I guess it almost, it almost went in, and then I missed the putt for eagle, so it was, it was 61. Did you know what BYU's low round was at that I point? Knew, I knew Summer Hayes had 60, okay. so I was like, well, let's just hold it and beat him. <laughs> Is that something that you'd still set as a goal in terms of either, uh, either hitting Daniel or a 59 before you're done here? Definitely, yeah, that'd be sweet. Um, you know, if it happens, happens. Um, but I, I definitely, I don't know how many individual wins or what the record is on that, but I think I'd definitely like to have that. What are your in, your individual and, and team goals uh, for this year, the remainder of this season? Uh, I think team goals is to, to stay in the top five or get into the top five and, and definitely stay in the top ten at, at worst. So sneak into there and then and then make it to nationals for sure. Hopefully win a regional. That'd be awesome. Um, win conference. Um, individual goals, um, I'd say just stay healthy and, and keep working hard. And and um, I think scoring average, try to get to 68 or 67. That'd be sweet. And, and make an All-American team and, and hopefully win a national championship as an Indy. What will determine when the, the time is right for you to go pro? I don't know. I mean that it's uh it's definitely something to think about but then again it's 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 a little far ahead. It's um, a goal for you now though, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um but I think if I just take it one tournament at a time and and kind of let the let the cards fall where they will. Um everything will take care of itself and um but right now it's just finishing out school and then and then see what see what happens. You mentioned your stroke average a moment ago. Uh you've gone from a 72.8 as a freshman to a 72.5 as a sophomore, a 68.3 uh through the fall season. So your career stroke average is a shade under 72 right now, which is pretty remarkable. C- can you compare uh, golf to any other sport and can you describe how hard it will be or is to get and keep a PGA Tour card eventually? Yeah, um trying to pair golf to another sport. There's I mean, there's really no other sport like it. Yeah. I, I think. Um, you know, just the mental aspect. It's definitely not like football where you're hitting each other, but but when you play match play, you know, it's there's a there's a there's a big mental part of it and and stuff like that. Um but there's constantly changing conditions and it's hard to control and and uh Gosh, I don't think there's any other sport like it, honestly. And then to get to the highest level is incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to be a part of that relatively small group that gets to play every week. Oh, they're they're what the guys are doing on tour right now is unbelievable. Um, but I think starting if I could start doing what they're doing now and 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 try to get a step ahead, and it's all about mental game out there because there's, you know, you look at hundred through the three hundred guys, and any one of them can win a golf tournament. Um, but it comes down to the mental game and how many putts you can make. And it's just knowing you can outwork anyone and then working hard no matter what because you could be talented, but if you don't work, it doesn't mean anything. Seems like you're a patient guy. I, 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 is it fair to say that you can see the value of a full four-year collegiate career before going before going pro? Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's there's you know a lot of pluses to that. You can get an education. You can you can get stronger and and uh you can just build a lot more connections you know through 4 years and uh it's just the experience is is something you can't get back. Do you watch a lot of golf on TV? Not a whole lot. I don't okay. I don't watch a whole lot of it. If if you were to watch golf, what would get you more excited as a spectator, Ryder Cup or the weekend of a major? Weekend of a major, for sure. Is there a major for you that you that that you think that like that that will be your dream moment? Is there one that you favor over the others? Like the chance to play in this one or that one. 
I'd say probably the Masters or the the British Open for sure. You know, just because the history of the British Open and the Masters is Augusta National. Like, come on. <laughs> have you played? Have you played Augusta yet? No, I haven't. Most famous course you've played? I mean, we talked about Pebble. Is that kind of it? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's that's about it. But then you got Pinehurst, and uh, you've played there. Yeah, and that was pretty sweet. Me and uh, me and Spencer actually played the four ball there, so that was fun. Um, yeah, probably those two, Pebble and Pebble and uh, Pinehurst. And you are back at it here in a couple of weeks, right down to down to Tucson. Mm-hmm. And the team is in pretty good shape. I mean, you got you got a good group, don't you? Oh, we got a great group. We uh, we gotta we gotta bear down and and get after it. You know, coming out and and playing in Arizona because it's usually pretty windy down there and it's a little tough coming out of the snow. But uh, I think we can compare, we can prepare better and uh, and really get after it and show them that we deserve to be in that that top spot. Certainly, the the team goals are within reach for this year and a couple of pretty good signees. And so, if you stick around, this team could get even better here moving forward, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. That'd be uh, that'd be pretty sweet. It'd be it'd be pretty tough to beat this past fall, but I think we can do it next year with the signees. Since coming from Fresno in the Valley to you mentioned the colder temperatures of Utah, how do you guys keep your game sharp in the wintertime? Uh, it's super tough. You know, we're <laughs> in the IPF. We're we're just hitting balls. There's not much room to putt and chip. Um, but then it's just, you know, going down to St. George every weekend and, and trying to play in practice down there. And So you guys get in vans or what? You guys uh, like just convoy down? How does that work? Uh, it all depends. So this, this weekend we're going to go down as a team and, and so we'll take a van and stuff like that. But usually it's it's drive down on your own and, and, and then we can play in practice down there at the different courses. Are you, are you loving life at BYU? Yeah, so far so good. Can't complain. Getting to play golf, go to school. It's fun. All right. Well, best of luck to you in the winter season and uh, and hopefully a long collegiate and professional career ahead. We'll be keeping an eye on you for sure. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. All right. My guest has been Peter Quest. And when Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel continues, it's a conversation with former BYU hoopster Eric Nielsen here on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, and the BYU Radio app. It's my Catching Up with the Cougar segment with Eric Nielsen. It's coming up next. Stay with us. That'll do it for Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel on this Wednesday, January 16th. My thanks to my guests, BYU golfer Peter Quest and former BYU basketball player Eric Nielsen. On next week's show, I'll visit with BYU women's volleyball, All-American Mary Lake and former BYU and NBA hoopster Fred Roberts. My thanks to coordinating producer Terry South with production assistance from Cole Wissinger. For Terry and Cole, my name is Greg Grubel, and I thank you for joining me Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. Until next Wednesday, good night and go Cougars. You have been listening to Behind the Mic with the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Listen to the podcast at byuradio.org.